Hi, I'm Maria Ramper. Welcome to this episode of Engineering Reimagined. The COVID-19 pandemic has shown us how much we rely on essential workers. Whether working in a hospital or supermarket, they're providing services while putting their own health at risk. In cities around the world, public transport has been vital in enabling essential workers to travel to and from work. With their own frontline workforce, public transport operators have faced the huge challenge of supporting the safety of employees and passengers, all while maintaining the operation of the network. But with the shift to working from home and growing fears among the community of infection, passenger numbers have dropped for many metro systems. Active transport is on the rise, with cycling surging in densely populated cities like New York. So how can public transport operators rebuild customer confidence in using their services in a post-pandemic world as cities move further towards integrated, multimodal transport systems? And what can we learn from cities where lockdowns have eased to improve the public transport passenger experience? To find out, Becky Wood, Oricon's Managing Director for Transportation in Australia and New Zealand, talks to Tilly Loughborough, General Manager for Passenger Experience at Metro Trains Melbourne, which operates the city's Metropolitan Rail Service. Tilly, thank you so much for joining me today. I am really conscious this is a very, very busy time for yourself and your teams. Um, And in particular, this is a pretty interesting moment in Melbourne and in Victoria as a whole. So I'm really grateful for the time. These past few months have really taken us uh, by surprise. But as as I um, reflect back on my public transport career, I think, gosh, this is a really intense moment for us in terms of how we respond. How have you really found these last few months? Thanks, Becky. It's a it's good to be here and have that opportunity to um, to talk through because I absolutely uh, agree with you. The pandemic has impacted uh, everyone, obviously, and uh, it has affected the transport industry and, and indeed everybody across the globe. Um, but uh, on a personal level for me, I guess, originally um, from the UK and so obviously have um, many family and friends who are, are dear to me there. And it does worry me greatly to see some of that impact um, as it is there too. Um, but it is a blessing that uh, whilst uh, all of my uh, family and friends over there are 10,000 miles apart from me, I can stay in touch and that's thanks to the developments in uh, technology and whilst it means I can't be there, I, I can see their faces and I can, I can see that they're okay, which is fantastic and, and I think those changes, the technology, the improvements that we've seen there have absolutely continued and come on leaps and bounds since we've moved into this phase. So I think in in the background of um, all of the transport piece, which we'll obviously come on to in a, a lot more detail, it, it's really given us a, a bit of a, a, a push forward in technology and in where we are. And here in, in Melbourne, it, it might be a different group of people I have around me, but the impact is real um, out here too. And uh, I think the best thing in the last five months that I've seen here is is the way in which people are caring and supporting one another. I actually find um, one of the things that's kept me working in the transport infrastructure space for such a long time is the fact that we tend to be quite collaborative. We tend to be open to sharing the lessons that we're learning and what we're experiencing on our networks to support each other, uh, improving the experience for our passengers across the international space. I think also absolutely agree that it's such a personal moment. Everyone is experiencing this differently. I'm sure you have been thinking very hard and very carefully about both your passengers and your staff. Um, what sort of measures have you been putting in place to keep them safe? 
what we have we made quite a few changes over the, the last few months. The first thing for us is to, to keep people safe. Um, and that is our own people within the business, but also um, our passengers. Safety does remain um, paramount for us. If I look at what we've done in, in the um, the customer space, we put in a cleaning regime that's over and above what we would already usually deliver as a, a good standard of cleaning, which means that we've been cleaning those high touch points um, more frequently. So things like the ticket vending machines and um the areas of the station that regularly get used like seats by our customers. That continues on to our trains. There's been 24-hour disinfecting of all of our services and obviously we've got a very big fleet and obviously keeping people informed which we we know is something that's one of the, the basic things that we really need to improve upon and get right for our customers. We've worked very closely with the Department of Transport to have very clear announcements for people to guide them in the things we'd like people to do and also give them key information about things such as popping up a Mikey online and saving themselves um, the, the time and, and conversation when they do get to a station um, where we're not currently able to take cash. So the other good thing that we've been able to um, do is add some um, additional facilities at stations. So at this point, hand sanitizer is pretty important for everybody and that whole um, hygiene and, and staying safe. The other thing that we've done is we've kept a full timetable running during the whole um, five months that COVID has primarily hit us. And that's meant that we've been able to put in place 19 additional services and further ones to go live. So whilst that might seem a little bizarre while we have a, a lower number of people traveling what it enables is that keep your distance where you can um, which is the message to customers it's made possible because we've got more services operating um, in those shoulder peaks uh, outside of the main peak time so people can choose to, to travel a little bit later or a little bit earlier to make their journey a bit more comfortable for them. But I can really understand what we're trying to do there in terms of just giving people space to use the capacity differently and to, to sit separately and to be a bit more distant from each other. I guess across the Victoria network we have those challenges early morning peak and the afternoon peak is it's at full capacity we're already using all of the space we have for trains so um, the only way we can provide that additional is by moving a little bit outside of those times and encouraging our customers to do the same, um, which will hopefully help everybody in the long term. And, and as we at some point in time do have more people travelling on the network uh, and that patronage does return for us. There's some really critical frontline staff involved in this conversation. So uh, I absolutely understand why you want to have um, the, the cleaning regime enhanced, but also I'm assuming it's pretty visible to passengers. And you've got a lot of frontline people out there, station staff, officers, drivers, maintenance crews, cleaners. How have your staff responded to COVID-19? Very well. We have a, a large frontline workforce uh, and those frontline individuals don't have the, the opportunity to be able to carry out their roles from home. So they are doing a fantastic job at, at keeping those essential services running and, and making sure that those who are in essential work elsewhere can actually get to their work location. So the police, the medical services, um, etc. And also making sure those who want to get to appointments, making sure they look after people as they do travel and have the information they need. Our people all have their own set of individual and personal challenging circumstances that they're dealing with. You know, many people um, with children who are homeschooling, 
um, people who've got elderly or parents or relatives that they need to care for uh, take an opportunity at this stage to do a, a shout out to them really and say thank you. Safety and transport are, are topics that are that are so interrelated for me and you know, I've worked in mainly rail actually in my career and safety is front of mind for us in, in terms of where I've thought of safety previously. I've, I've certainly been part of transport teams in responding to some pretty major incidents on networks previously but those safety incidents are very different from the public health reaction that we're having to have here you you look at accidents or operational failures and we've got procedures and we, we respond from a safety perspective this is really different territory do you find your transport planners are having to embrace some really different thinking here to kind of help us respond robustly as a network I think there are some similarities in what we would do in in usual terms. Safety remains our first priority and it's the first thing that we look at. But as you say, we've got a a current situation which has um, a a term that I'm finding I'm using quite often, that uncharted waters or unprecedented times. And and it, it might seem a little twee, but it is true. So... We are handling our safe operations as we we always would, and we do that daily, but we do need to then take the principles that we have and and apply them to the new circumstances as we would when we introduce any initiative, carry out the risk assessments, make sure that we're clear on what it means for our passengers and for our people, and make sure that the network is prepared to accept these changes. We already have um, the usual things that you would expect in a business like those business continuity plans in terms of what happens if, and they have really come to the for for us at the moment and and we continue to change them as we see different things happening. Um, We've got really strong um, pandemic policies in place and going back to that piece around looking after our people that really is designed to make sure that we do have some real clear support in place. Going back to some of those improvements we we talked about earlier on there are some positives out of it and uh, we do get some uh, positive flow on into the passenger experience that we provide as well as the environment for our people around this. So um, it is challenging times and we probably do need to work a lot quicker and a lot smarter and more efficiently because of what's been thrown at, at us um, with the pandemic. It does also mean that we look at things still as effectively but a little differently and probably progress a little bit quicker than we would have ordinarily have done. How do you see customer behaviour evolving in the future beyond um, the, the current restrictions and experience we've got but perhaps there's going to be some evolution as a result of this experience? We've already seen um, some changes. We, we typically um, do have around 800,000 journeys a day um, and um, Our patronage, particularly in those early stages, dropped around 90%. That has a a big impact upon what we're doing and and how we're moving people. So it is a a relatively lower number of individuals who are travelling with us on the trains at the moment. The important part for us, we're assisting those essential workers in getting to work, you know, whether it be healthcare, that supply chain, emergency services more generally. We do need to make sure that what we do is set to support that uh, progress and and whatever we change and however people's behaviour and and travel patterns evolve into the future, that we still have um, that core travel with commuters um, in that space. I'm thinking is going to be an ever-changing and evolving time for some months um, to come. So we will need to change how we do business, not just um, how we operate, but we'll also see some patterns, I'm sure, in our customers where some 
operations and businesses choose to continue to do some working from home. They've got used to that virtual world and for the main part, a lot of their work can continue on that basis, which will mean some changes to who is and isn't traveling with us. We also need to be in a place where we're prepared as a business to support those who do choose to come back and and start traveling again. And obviously the importance for us is around gaining that confidence that they um, are safe to travel and are comfortable to travel. And we will continue to both support our people to be able to get there, but importantly also support customers um, to be able to make their own um, travel choices as the return happens. It's been interesting to compare and contrast between international experience. What I've been really impressed by is the consistent theme here is transit authorities are just really leaning into this, looking to offer the, the, the flexibility that our passengers need and providing as much information as possible in all forms into their hands if they've got a smartphone or elsewhere on the network in different ways so that people feel informed and they feel that confidence that they know that the operators are really thinking about this. I might ask for your views in terms of how the passenger behaviour in Melbourne compares with train passengers elsewhere beyond our shores, perhaps here in Australia, but in other cities and countries. There are very different um, scenarios when you move country to country and um, some of the work we do here, we've got partner organisations in in different locations and our own shareholder organisations in the UK, Sweden, uh, Hong Kong uh, and broader. And uh, so we do um, have conversations around how um, passenger behaviour is impacted in or needs to be supported in in different areas and how that differs uh, when we move continent to continent even. And uh, there's a commonality though that pandemic's been difficult for everybody and it's meant changes in what we do. And I think that's from an operator perspective, but also from our passenger perspective. Whilst there might be a small minority of, of people who are not following government guidance, in the main, everybody is doing the right thing. And I think that's common across the globe, which is really good to see. I guess in our space in Victoria, we were already seeing some high levels of investment in in the network, and that continues with the big build, which improves the network for the future as we go forward. That helps with that passenger behaviour piece, because if we've got the right infrastructure and the right network, that also allows our passengers to behave appropriately. The the good thing about um, being a a, a part of a global organisation more broadly and is we can leapfrog some of those learnings that others have gone through um, to be able to move forward for the transport networks of the future. It's great that we've got the ability to real-time connect with colleagues in those other countries and look at what's happening on their networks. And when compulsory masks um, and face coverings were introduced, how's that being handled elsewhere in the network? There's a lot of work um, behind the scenes in connecting with that global scenario to make sure that we do learn from one another. I must confess, I, I absolutely love the MTR cleaning robot. I'm really passionate about how much virtual technology can bring to us in terms of that user-centric design idea, getting into the personas of different passengers and their experiences, large infrastructure projects where we can bring the passenger to life virtually in thinking about what we're planning and really immersing ourselves in the experience our passengers are going to have. One thing that comes to mind for me is about adjustments for individuals who might be uh, sitting in wheelchairs when they're experiencing our transport networks and how we can make that experience optimal. Are you seeing some of this virtual stuff coming in to our industry and bringing opportunities with it? Yes, I think there's a, there's a whole raft of opportunities in that space. I'm always keen um, with my background in, in that customer experience design piece to, to make sure that what we put in place has strong foundations. Our Department uh, of Transport colleagues are making some huge inroads in what they are um, developing in the ticketing space. So uh, making sure that the online processes are 
um, upgraded and able to support our, our customers as the holder of the multimodal information which covers um, all networks um, across the state, the progression that they're making in terms of the journey planning information, but as Metro also to support that and, and make sure that our information on our website and how we make that available to our customers is good. Just earlier in the year, we launched um, a new focus on our Twitter we had a bit of a world first in um, a real true personalization for um, our customers to be able to pull only the information they need um, and have the information sent to them that's specific for, for the line that they're traveling on um, to take away some of the noise that isn't relevant to them. On our passenger information displays on platforms, um, we've introduced what we, we affectionately refer to as a burn line, um, which basically is a countdown line that on the screen lets people know when the train's about to depart and means we can get our services um, prepared to be able to um, depart on time. We're looking at how we can do better around that uh, wayfinding and, and the digital mapping of information so that people can access uh, at their fingertips um, and, and when they choose to access that information um, before they travel preferably so that they can plan their journeys and, and choose their options as it's fit for them. I think also I'm really interested by the idea of that provision of information beforehand. I know a lot of our customers in the transport space are really quite multimodal in their thinking these days and particularly um, seeing some of the active transport progression that's happening. So one of the unexpected reactions to, to the pandemic has been seeing quite a lot of cycling and walking coming into play yes. in a lot of our urban centres, um, which is really becoming quite popular. And, and that growth in active transport, where do you see that in terms of integrating into the existing rail network and, and allowing our passengers those choices? I absolutely think we have to, again, back to that collaborative piece that we have in working very closely with the other transport operators across Melbourne and, and the Department of Transport on how we can make sure that uh, we, we can um, allow people to access stations effectively and not just for the the cycling, the walking, but how we can make it easier for people to access our network, people with mobility issues um, or, or, or additional needs that they have when they're traveling. For instance, at the moment at one of our stations, you know, trialing um, the ability for people to uh, operate lifts without uh, having to touch the button that doesn't just help us with the current times um, where we've got the pandemic and, and therefore people are a little bit more nervous about touching surfaces but it has uh, the benefit for someone who's in a wheelchair who perhaps can't reach the, the button ordinarily or has some issues with the mobility of, of their hands uh, it, it really starts to offer some wider benefits the, the improvements that are being made at the moment um, for that broader network and broader travel for, for everybody who wants to use the service. Absolutely. And I love the idea that that equity of access is, is increasing through the way we're innovating, the use of different channels of communication, just to open things out where people might have impairments we can't necessarily see, but perhaps they need more information in a better form to, to interact with our network confidently. We've got to make sure that um, we, we bear that in mind in, in that design space and, and anything we do on our infrastructure. There's a whole huge thought process goes behind uh, any of the introduction of new stations. How much data is being collected as we go through this experience? What is that teaching us about our network and what we need to be doing? As a customer to a network, we don't see that whole piece around the amount of data that's collected and used. And it does give us that opportunity 
to take, to analyse, to develop the trends, to see exactly what's happening out there and, and allows us to respond in a more agile way to what's going on. What are the key aspects of resilient transport networks, knowing what we're experiencing now? Some of the key things for me really are about being agile, responding to what's given to us and making sure that we take the opportunities that we have. We will undoubtedly see further changes in the, the coming months and And I guess that resilience and having that resilient transport network is is about positioning ourselves, should I say, to be able to uh, make those changes effectively, to make the right considerations as we make those changes, um, but do it in a a targeted way and and do it in a way where we respond quickly and for the benefit of of our people and our customers as we go. I'm sure you and I have worked for many years alongside our uh, engineering colleagues and What role do you think engineers can play in designing these transport infrastructures of the future? Worked alongside many, many different engineers and and many different uh, individuals along the way who uh, have already played an active part in designing that uh, transport infrastructure uh, of the future. Those roles are are critical in making sure what we design is, is fit for purpose as we go forward. That foresight of being able to look at what the current impact uh, is for our customers um, is something that uh, uh, the, the engineers can play a huge part. The great thing is there's a, a lot of focus on bringing females into those um, STEM roles and um, making sure that it is a, a diverse workforce, not just in gender terms, but also in, in terms of uh, making sure we've got a socially inclusive workforce, which um, represents or, or mirrors the communities that we, we do serve out there and means that those facilities that are put in place, that infrastructure that is developed is much more fit for purpose and it it really does reflect what's needed and and we don't have to deal with some of the retrospective fit out of things that uh, we've perhaps seen with some of the uh, older and more heritage networks that we deal with at the moment. And I love that the diversity of the profession has grown so much in terms of the breadth of disciplines because we, we need everything from data science to user-centric design um, and the full breadth of the engineering profession to come around that and make sure we're representing the full breadth of the customer base and really understanding what communities want from transport. So I, I'm, I'm really um, hopeful because I see that diversity grow and that we're, we're more representative as an industry of um, what our customer base can be. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a real uh, opportunity for us think, to keep enhancing what we do. So it's so again, thank you so much, Tilly. I'm really grateful for your time. Any closing remarks you want to leave us with? It's uh, been great to um, have such a detailed conversation about what is going on in the transport network and transport industry at the moment. It does make me think about how much progress is being made in transport and never so quickly as it's happening at the moment in response to, in, the, in part, to the pandemic. Um, but also um, just going back to that people piece that... Uh, We've got a, a great uh, workforce out there, a lot of people on, on the front line who keep delivering a great job for us day after day um, and for the benefit of our customers and making sure that transport does run in difficult and uncharted times. Absolutely. And we're, we're very grateful for it, actually. It's a really hopeful conversation. I'm, I'm so delighted for that. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engineering Reimagined. It's inspiring to hear about the essential work that goes on behind the scenes to ensure public transport is safe for passengers and employees while remaining fully operational, and also how our transport networks are looking towards the future to make sure they remain relevant and appropriate for our needs as individuals and as communities. If you found this episode interesting, 
tell your friends about it or leave a review in Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to Engineering Reimagined on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and many other podcast apps. Join the conversation using the hashtag Engineering Reimagined or follow Oricon on social for updates about the podcast. Until next time. Thank you.